Well, this morning I want to begin with a story about a, a man named George Mueller. Some of you may have heard him before. He was a Christian missionary, quite a character. I encourage you to read a biography about him or just Google him this afternoon. Uh, he was a very interesting man. Growing up, he was a gambler. He was a ne'er-do-well. He was raised in a very wealthy family. And he decided to go to seminary to become a minister because of the fame and the money involved in it. I kid you not, this was the case in Prussia in the 1800s. When he went to seminary to study the Bible and to become a pastor, he had a genuine conversion experience. He trusted in Jesus, really, for the first time in his life. And he began living that way, much to the consternation of his fellow students. It kind of shocked them. He ended up graduating and going to England as a missionary. He started an orphanage there. You see, uh, there were many, many orphans in England at the time. It was a real crisis, and so orphanages shot up all over the place in England during that time. But what was unique about George and what was unique about the way he started this orphanage was that he determined beforehand that he was not going to ask for anything. Instead, he would pray about it. He would pray for the money. He would pray for the buildings. He would pray for the food that the kids would eat every day. He would pray for the beds and everything. He would not ask for anything except from God. He determined that he would live by faith rather than fear. Now, there was a story found in his journal that just depicts this um, regular occurrence for him. There was one day when George and the children woke up. 300 kids were dressed and ready for the day. They were gathered into the dining hall and one of the workers said, Mr. Mueller, the kids are dressed and ready for school, but there's no food. So they determined to pray. And that's what he did. He prayed and said, God, we don't have any food. Please help. Please provide. And that's exactly what happened. He gathered the 300 children there in the dining hall and sat them down and he thanked God for the food. And there was nothing in front of them. No more than five minutes later, a knock came at the door. It was the baker. And he said, Mr. Mueller, I woke up at about 2 a.m. because I just had this feeling that you needed food. You needed bread for the children today. So I baked Could you use that? Welcome in. And the kids had food, just enough for all 300 children. A few minutes later, another knock came at the door. It was the milkman. His cart had broken a wheel right outside the orphanage. And so he said, Mr. Mueller, could you use 10 cans of milk? It'll spoil by the time we get the cart fixed, so could you use it? Welcome in, Mr. Milkman. And it was just enough for those 300 orphans in the orphanage. This, is a, this was a regular occurrence. His diary was strewn with stories like this of God's provision. And God repeatedly proved himself to be the provider. These are situations that would fill me with anxiety. I would be afraid. I got 300 kids here. 
they're waiting. There's zero on their plate for the day. How in the world am I going to fix this? That's my natural tendency. But not Mr. Mueller's. He prayed. He said, God, you're the provider. And that's exactly what he did. George was at peace. He was prayerful. And he was patient. He said this, The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. And the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. What a great quote. Let me say that one more time. The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. And the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. You know what? There's a lot of anxiety in our world right now. Maybe you suffer with it. Maybe you know someone who suffers with anxiety. You know, an average person's anxiety is generally focused on things that will never happen. So they've done studies. They say approximately 40% of things that people worry about are things that will never happen. They say that about 30% of things people worry about are things that happened in the past that can't be changed. They say that 12% are things about criticism by others that are mostly untrue. 10%, they say, are about health, which gets worse with stress, of course. And then maybe about 8% are things that are real problems that will need to be faced. We worry about so many different things. We all have anxious moments, some more than others. We'd be lying if we didn't. But we want to live according to peace. We want to live according to faith rather than anxiety. And yet we live in a world that is trying to constantly push us towards fear. Everything we see on the news and read about and look online about, it's telling us how terrible things are. And so as we approach the word this morning, let's cast off anxiety for a moment and sit at the feet of the Lord. Let's sit at the word and learn how we can have greater peace in our lives. Let's bow. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, I pray that your spirit would meet us here. Not only that my words would be clear, but that your Holy Spirit, most of all, Father, would speak to us. Would grant us your peace. God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather in a beautiful place with friends and family and uh, new friends and old friends, Lord. Speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week... We were in Luke chapter 1. We have been going through the gospel of Luke since September. And we were up at chapter 5, and we took a jump back in the last week to Luke chapter 1 to talk about Advent, preparation for the coming of Jesus. So last week we talked about the hope of God's promise. There was a Jewish priest named Zechariah who received a promise from the angel Gabriel. It was a promise of personal blessing. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth would have a son. Good news, even though they were old. It was a promise of national blessing for the nation of Israel and a promise of deliverance for the people who had walked in darkness but would see a great light, that light being Jesus. It was a promise of hope because of what Jesus would do. But when Zechariah questioned Gabriel, the angel, what happened? Gabriel said, "Uh uh-uh, you be quiet, zip it. (laughs) So he was silent until those things came to pass. 
And this week, we're going to see how Mary reacted to Gabriel's annunciation. So would you stand as we read from the Gospel of Luke, also chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. I am reading from the English Standard Version. So if you want to follow along, that's the one I am in. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who, is, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and, his holy, name, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. So as we began that section of scripture, it began with the angel Gabriel being sent to Mary. Last week we saw how the angel Gabriel was sent to Zechariah in the temple there in Jerusalem. And now 
Gabriel was sent to Mary in Nazareth. Sent to this young girl who was engaged to Joseph of David's lineage. Best guesses say that Mary was only about 14 years old. Can you imagine? 14-ish. And it says that she was a virgin. Now, was she really a virgin? Some people say that just means a young girl, a young maiden. And really, so what? What does it really matter anyway, whether she was or was not? I believe it does matter because it is a fulfillment of prophecy. If you were in the Sunday school class that meets in the ranch house last week, we read through Isaiah chapter 7 and 9 that talk about how God would show a sign. A virgin would bear a son. There would be no human agency except for Mary herself, which also is a fulfillment of prophecy. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, at the fall of humanity, God spoke to Eve and said that it would be her seed that would crush the head of the serpent. And so it is important that Mary was a virgin and that there would be no human agency except herself. Because the issue is sin. The entire reason Jesus was sent was to deal with the issue of sin. And that was passed down through our human fathers from Adam on. And Gabriel greeted Mary. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Now it's really difficult to translate that saying well. So we can understand why Mary reacted the way she did it first, and we're going to look at that in a minute. Literally, it says, grace to you, on, uh, the one on whom grace rests, or highly favored one. The Lord is with you. It's kind of an awkward saying. And what I want you to notice is that Gabriel, the angel, is bringing news of grace. He's bringing news of grace. And the word is the same in the Greek, whether it's translated in English, favor or grace, it's the same word. Gabriel told her not to be afraid because she had found favor. Also, what word? Grace. She had found favor or grace with God. And so this saying, grace to you, graced one. The Lord is with you and you have found grace with God. Do you hear this? There's something significant being said. Into a midst of a people, the Jews, who had been dominated by foreign nations, Assyria, Persia, Babylon, Greece, Rome, into the middle of a religious system that was based on the works of the law, God spoke grace. He had planned it from the beginning of the foundation of the world, He had been showing it to his people all along throughout their history. He had been working towards it, even in the midst of the silent years, those 400 years in between the return from exile and what we have here in in, uh, Luke. But now he's speaking out impending grace. And this news of grace that we're going to hear in a couple weeks here that was spoken to To the shepherds, in chapter 2, it was to be good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. God's grace is here. Now, what does that mean? 
I mean, we understand the implications now on this side of the cross, that it means that the Jewish people would no longer need to make sacrifice. They would no longer need to keep kosher. No longer would they need to measure their righteousness according to their own ability to keep the law of Moses. Through faith in Jesus, they could be free. They could receive forgiveness and receive the unmerited favor, the grace of God. It's good news. And that promise holds true for everyone sitting here this morning. This is the great news of Christmas. God was born into flesh to show us his grace. That's good news. And grace, doesn't it have a way of relieving anxiety? Of giving us the ability to let go of fear. Grace gives peace and freedom rather than judgment and anxiety. Now, Gabriel's greeting, it greatly troubled Mary. I mean, how did Mary respond to even this greeting and this news from Gabriel? Well, it says here that she was greatly troubled at the saying in verse 29. Now, that word greatly troubled really means to cause acute distress. Why would Mary be so troubled? Why would she be so agitated and disturbed? Well, ultimately, the implications of her being pregnant and not yet married were quite serious. They were life-threatening. According to the law of Moses, it would not go well for her. It was a precarious, anxious situation for Mary. But again, like his greeting, Gabriel assured her, He assured her that she had found favor, grace, with God. Here's what he says. He says, you'll conceive. You will bear a son. You will call his name Jesus, and he will be great. He will be called Son of the Most High, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. God will give him the throne of his father David, and there will be no end to his kingdom. Those are very specific promises. And what an overwhelming blessing to be a part of God's work in history for Mary. What an amazing thing. And Mary, understandably concerned, confused with that annunciation, she asked, how? (laughs) How is this going to happen? Well, if there's one thing we learned last week is that you probably shouldn't question and ask of the angel Gabriel. Because, like Zechariah, because of his questioning, he was not allowed to speak. But Mary asked how in the world that was going to happen because she was a virgin. Well, I've kind of wrestled with this and thought about this, especially in light of how Zechariah was told to shut up and was shut up for several months according to scripture, what we saw last week, and how Mary did not receive that kind of rebuke from the angel Gabriel, as we see here. Gabriel very kindly and gently explained to her, God is going to do this. Nothing's impossible with him. It wasn't like, okay, you're questioning now, and now something bad's going to happen. It wasn't like that. And I think there could be a couple explanations. Perhaps it was her age. She was very young. As I said, probably around 14-ish years old. And Zechariah was 
How old? Older, much older. He'd been around a long time. And I also think it could possibly be because Zechariah was a priest, right? He, should, he was older. He should have known better. He knew the things of the Lord and the law of the Lord. And Mary was very young and probably too young to understand in the way that Zechariah understood. But I also think there's a really important contrast here between law and grace. Zechariah was dealing in the temple. It was his job. We saw that his role at that moment was to burn incense before the Lord. He was older. He knew the things of the law. And yet God kept speaking through Gabriel grace to Mary. And God is promising this good news of grace to the world. Not a message of law, not a message of punishment if you fail, but a message of freedom and forgiveness and understanding and compassion and mercy, even when we fail. That message of grace. Some scholars have said, well, it indicates that Mary didn't doubt the angel's words, but merely wanted to know how such an event would be accomplished. I don't know. I think God is speaking something very beautiful and wonderful here into this situation, especially in light of Zechariah's experience and in light of Mary's experience with the angel Gabriel. Good news of grace to the world. And ultimately, here is Mary's response to Gabriel and the word of God. Mary submitted. She said, behold, it's verse 38 there. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. What a powerful statement of faith. Lord, I'm your servant. Let it be to me, just as you've said. What an availability. What an openness to God. What a willingness to go along with his plan. Mary could have fretted and honestly gone a little mad over the whole situation. We would understand that. This revelation was wild and crazy and huge beyond her, beyond her time, beyond her life and generation. It would affect the world forever. And she says, go for it, God. We'd understand if she clung to her questions. We would understand if she doubted. We would see her as a normal person if she laughed it off as some sort of joke. And I'm sure she might have felt some of these things to some degree, but... Mary submitted to God's will and his plan. She chose submission to God's will. And along with that, listen closely here, along with submission to God's will came peace. It came peace. The next scene is Mary traveling to her cousin Elizabeth's house to stay with her for a while. No doubt to get away from critical eyes who might want to harm her for being an unwed mother or the disapproval of her family. But she went to her cousin Elizabeth's house. And when she arrived in verse 39 and following, it says that the baby in Elizabeth's womb, who was that? John the Baptist. That baby leaped in Elizabeth's womb. Elizabeth, it says, was filled with the Holy Spirit and pronounced a blessing on Mary immediately. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is your baby. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary believed that what God said would come to pass. 
And Elizabeth confirmed Gabriel's promise. It was a, uh, and it gave her assurance. It gave Mary assurance and it gave her peace. She was able to be there with Elizabeth through the rest of her pregnancy. And how did Mary respond? Verse 46 through 56. She responded with a song, what we understand as Mary's song. My soul magnifies the Lord. And she goes on to speak about the wonderful, great things God has done. He has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. He's done great things for me and for his holy name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. He has helped Israel. She gave this response, this song of joy, because she had a sense of peace and assurance and confidence in what God was going to do in and through her. God promised good things and Mary believed it would happen and God would do exactly as he said. As we look at this, I want us to take away a couple things this morning and throughout this Advent season as we approach Christmas and the celebration of Jesus' birth. I want you to remember that even though you may be going through an anxious time, because we all know that that happens at Christmas time. We worry about a whole bunch of different things. Who's going to be at what party? Who's going to be coming over to what house? How are we going to deal with this person or that person? What should I give them? What gifts should we get? Uh, all kinds of things. In the midst of anxiety, in the midst of difficulty, God speaks peace and grace. I want you to remember that. Because we can easily get tripped up by anxious thoughts. We worry ourselves about so many different things. But God speaks peace and grace to us. And I want you to know this morning, whether you uh, trust in Jesus, if you trust in Jesus, we should know this, but we always have to remind ourselves. But if you've never placed your faith in Jesus this morning here, when you trust in Jesus, I want you to know that God goes before you. And he can give you peace in every situation. Most importantly, because he has dealt with the issue of sin. The Bible says that at the beginning of all time, he created us to be in this perfect relationship with him, perfect relationship with one another, perfect relationship with our surroundings. But we chose to go our own way. We chose to disobey him. And reject what he said. We, we pulled a Sinatra. We said, I'm going to do it my way. And because of that, we welcomed sin and death and corruption into the world. And Lord knows it has gotten a bit worse since then. Nevertheless, that's why Jesus came. To deal with that sin. To get rid of it once and for all. And so when we trust in Jesus, we can have peace because our life here and now is in the hands of God, whatever happens. And our life eternal is present with God. That is good news for every single person on this, this earth. Whatever culture you grew up in, whatever religion you grew up with, this good news of Jesus Christ is for all the people. Good news. And 
we can have peace because as we trust in Jesus, God invites us to come before his throne. He's not a reigning tyrant that wants to smite everyone. We live in an era of grace. We live in an era of unmerited favor. That's good news. And so he invites us to him through Jesus. He tells us to cast our cares, our anxiety upon him because he cares for us. He loves us. And he welcomes us as a friend when we fear him. Can you imagine that? To be called a friend of God. That's good news. And Jesus said that his burden is light. And it's true. His teaching of grace lifts guilt. It lifts shame from us. And it lifts anxiety from us. We truly can live with a greater measure of peace as we rest in the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. If you have not placed your trust in Jesus this morning, I want to encourage you to do so. Because there are very legitimate anxieties and cares of this world. But God wants us to cast those before him because he is sovereign. He is in charge and he can help you navigate those waters. It's not always perfect. It's not always simple. But knowing that God is with you in the midst of it brings an unworldly measure of peace. And that's God's good grace to us today. It's a message of hope. It's a message of peace and his love towards you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness towards us. Lord, I don't know what people are going through as they sit here this morning. As I've talked about worries and difficulties, I'm sure every single person here has had events, relationships, people pop into their mind Cares stir up in their hearts. Worry, a flutter in their spirit, God. But Lord, right now as we come to the table of communion, we want to lay that down before you. We thank you that your word assures us that we can come before you through Jesus because of what he's done on the cross. We have access to your throne. We can come before you crying, Father, Dad, we love you. And we need your help. So God, that's what we want to do. Lord, help us to let go when we want to control things. When we think that we might have the answer to whatever our troubles might be. We ask that you would help us lay those before you. Because you are the one with the answer. We thank you for your help. We thank you for your hope. We thank you that you offer us peace because of your son, Jesus Christ. And he was the one, Lord, who said, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. So Lord, strengthen us by your peace and through your Holy Spirit. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. We come to this table every week because it's the good story of what God's done for us in his son Jesus. It was on the night in which he was betrayed that Jesus took bread and broke it.
saying, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. I want to invite those who are serving us to come forward. If you're unfamiliar with how we do this here at Crossroads, we just welcome you in just a moment to come up through the aisles here on the side and uh, take a piece of bread out of the basket. If you're gluten-free, there's a a little basket in each station uh, to take a cracker out and dip it into the juice and make your way back to uh, the station through the outside. Any more? We need a couple more servers here. Awesome. Thank you. All right. <laughs> so I invite you to come. Now, <laughs> well, this is great. Okay, that's okay. little dancing here. That's all right. We can dance before the Lord. David did it, right? Um, I totally lost where I was. That's okay. <laughs> don't, oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Um, So yeah, come up through the aisle, make your way back through the exit. Uh, We do ask that if you've not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, don't feel awkward, but just remain in your seats because as we take the bread, as we dip it into the juice, and we are, it's an expression of faith in what God has done for us through Jesus. So uh, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, even if you've done that this morning, you're welcome here at this table. It doesn't matter if you're a member here at Crossroads. If you've, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you're welcome here at this table. So let's bow. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your grace, your good news of great joy, which is for all people. We praise you, God. And as we come here to this uh, communion table, this table that retells the story of uh, your sacrifice on our behalf to deal with the issue of sin, we want to thank you and praise you. We thank you for coming, for being born into flesh and being willing to die for our sin. And we thank you, Lord, that that was not the end that you raised from the dead to prove that you have authority and power to do just as you said, to forgive us of our sins, to restore us to a relationship with the Father. And so, God, we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm glad you tuned into this podcast message. We'd love it if you came down and visited us in person on Sunday mornings at 1030. You can follow Crossroads on Twitter at Crossroads, C-N-C-R-D, as in Concord, and keep up to date with news and events on our Facebook group page. God bless you.